This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. I want to invite you all to open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah 6. And wow, that set of music just just feeds so beautifully into what we're going to see in, in God's Word today. So if you're new today, we are, are doing a series on the book of Isaiah. And this morning we're going to be in chapter 6, and we're going to talk about an encounter and a mission. An encounter and a mission. Isaiah chapter 6 Uh, And take your copy of God's Word. Let's look together at verses 1 through 10 as we see Isaiah's incredible encounter with the Holy God and with the mission that flowed forth from that encounter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. And he replied, go, say to these people, keep listening but do not understand. Keep looking but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul there talks about an encounter that he had with God 14 years prior to writing the book of 2 Corinthians. And he says there in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. 
I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. So Paul was not given permission to speak of the things that he had seen and heard that day. But Isaiah has an encounter with God, and in this case, God does give him permission to speak about it. And we're going to speak about it this morning. What do we see here in this encounter that Isaiah has with God and about the mission that comes from that encounter. So first of all, let's take a look at the encounter. Verse 1. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now first of all, Isaiah tells us here in verse 1 when this encounter with God happened. He says it happened in the year that King Uzziah died. And that's very significant. Because Uzziah had reigned as their king for 52 years. And so when he died, it was a time of great uncertainty among the people. Not only had their long-serving king of five-plus decades died, but there were threats that were looming on the horizon. The Assyrians were rising and threatening Israel. And now their, their king has died. So it was a time of, of great uncertainty. People were unsettled. But see, the Assyrians were not their biggest problem. God could handle the Assyrians. God could handle the Assyrians with one word from his mouth. No, the Assyrians were not Israel's biggest problem. Their biggest problem is that they had turned away from the only one who could protect them from the Assyrians. They had turned their backs on God. They had turned their backs on their true king. Do you notice here in verse 1 the language of kingship? Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. The word Lord is is Adonai. It, It means sovereign one. He says, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty what? throne. So what's being communicated is that God is their true king. Yes, our long-serving king has died, but our true king still rules and reigns. Our true king is still on the throne. What else do we see here in in verse 2? He says that seraphim, we just sung about seraphim and holy, holy, holy. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. So what are these seraphim? They are angelic beings. 
the word seraphim means burning ones or, or fiery ones. And these are angels, and so therefore sinless, and yet they are absolutely humbled in the presence of the holy God. A.W. Tozier says this, We must not think of God as highest in an ascending order of beings, starting with a single cell and going on up from the fish to the bird to the animal to man to angel to cherub to God. God is as high above an archangel as above a caterpillar. For the gulf that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is finite, while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. And these angels are absolutely humbled in the presence of God. What are they doing? It says they have six wings, and with two of their wings, they're covering their eyes. Why? So that they won't be absolutely blinded by the blazing glory of God. It says with two of their wings, they are covering their feet. Old Testament scholar Alec Motier points out that in the Old Testament, the, the feet are a symbol of direction. Our feet take us where we want to go, right? The fact that these seraphim are covering their feet means that they don't make the decisions about where they go. God makes the decisions about where they go. He makes the decisions about their direction, as he should for ours as well. So they cover their feet. And then with two, they are flying. And as they fly, they are calling out to one another. What are they saying? Verse 3, one call to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. So in Hebrew, repetition is used for emphasis. And we saw this when we went through Psalms this past summer. A lot of times repetition is, is used for emphasis. But this is the only time when we see this threefold repetition. God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. He is not a bigger and nicer version of you and me. He is other. He is in a class by himself. You see, what Isaiah, and you'll see this throughout the book, Isaiah stresses the godness of God. Oh, how we desperately need this in our day. You know, Russ Moore tells about talking with a friend of his, and she had just suffered a, a miscarriage, pregnancy, and she was just going through a lot of pain and, and loss from that, and he was talking with her about it, and he asked her in the course of conversation, he said, Did you, were you able to go to your church this past Sunday? And she said, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. She said, I just couldn't handle the hilarity of it all. What an indictment 
of her church and too many of our evangelical churches just kind of going for entertainment and, and gimmicks and slapstick rather than seeking to encounter the holy God and reverencing the holy God. How different was their experience from a couple that approached John Piper one day after a service. This couple comes up to him after the service and they said, Pastor, we just want you to know the past six weeks have been the hardest time of our lives. Six weeks ago, we found out that one of our kids was being abused by a, a, a relative. And, and we were absolutely shattered. We, were, we didn't know what to think. We didn't know what to do. But we came to church that, that Sunday after we found this out, just absolutely coming undone. And we came to church, and, and you preached on Isaiah 6 that day. And they said it was, it was, it was the vision of God's majesty and holiness that we have clung to for the past six weeks. That's what's gotten us through. Listen, deep down, we are starving for a big, sovereign, majestic God who is not like us. That's the God that we see in Isaiah. What else does he say here in verse 3? It says that his glory fills the whole earth. That's so interesting because, because this vision is so heavenly, right? But yet, God cares about the things of earth. That means he cares about you. <laughs> this is our God. High and lifted up. Majestic and holy and yet his glory fills the whole earth. He, he cares about the things of, of, of earth. He cares about us. And this leads us to the question really of, you know, why did such a majestic holy God create things on earth to begin with? Why did he create the earth? Why did he create people on earth? Why? It wasn't like God was incomplete without us. It wasn't like God was lonely. He's never been lonely. God has always had perfect companionship within the Trinity. But what the Trinity teaches us is that our God has always been outgoing in his love. Throughout all eternity, the Father has always, always loved his son. He has always shared his love through the Spirit. And so therefore, it is totally consistent with the character of our triune God to create and to care about things on earth. His glory fills the whole earth. Verse 4. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. And the building wasn't the only thing that was shaking. <laughs> Isaiah is shaking. Verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, 
For I am ruined because I I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. You know, I'm reminded here of what happens when Jesus and Peter first meet. You know, that day Jesus had been teaching along the Sea of Galilee and crowds were pressing in. And so Jesus turned to a fisherman there in one of the boats and he said, hey, can I get into your boat and teach? <laughs> you know, that kind of allowed the people to, to use all the space. And so Jesus, Jesus, the fisherman says, sure, you can get in. Jesus gets in the boat. That fisherman was Peter. And when Jesus finished teaching, he, he turned to Peter and he said, hey, Put your boat out a little deeper (laughs) and let down the nets. Well, Peter had been fishing all night long. They had caught absolutely nothing. And furthermore, Peter had been fishing the Sea of Galilee his whole life. He knew the patterns. And so he's thinking to himself, you know, what does this preacher know about fishing? This is my livelihood. You know, we're not going to catch anything. But Peter says, okay, master, whatever you say. We'll do it. (laughs) What happens? They let down, they go out into deeper water, they let down the nets, and immediately those nets are bursting with fish. They're about to sink. They have to call to another boat to come and help them, and the other boat puts their net over, and it's the same thing. It's filled with fish, and the boats are about to, to sink. You know, it's the greatest catch ever. Well, what is Peter doing in that situation? Is Peter just kind of, you know, gleefully, you know, just hollering about this great catch of fish? Is he high-fiving Jesus? No. He falls down on his knees before Jesus and what does he say he says Lord depart from me I am a sinful man because when we are in the presence of the holy we become acutely aware of our own sin I'll never forget R.C. Sproul and his great series on the on the holiness of God, saying that for the first time in his life, Isaiah sees who God really is, but Isaiah also sees who who Isaiah really is in in his own sin. Remember what holiness is. Holiness is God's complete and utter separation from anything sinful. And so the issue is, how can sinners like Isaiah and like you and me come into the presence of a holy God? The only way The only reason that sinners like us can come into the presence of the holy God and not be incinerated is because God gave his son to take our sins on himself so that we can take his righteousness and have a righteous covering 
so that we can stand before God, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteous covering of Christ that has been credited to our account when we trusted in Jesus. That's it. Look at verse five again. Isaiah says, woe is me. For these first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah has been pronouncing God's woes on other people, but now he pronounces a woe on himself. Old Testament scholar John Oswald says, Isaiah recognizes with sickening force that his character is not any more than his people's in keeping with God's character. And what's the deal with the lips? Why, why does Isaiah go to the lips here in verse 5? He says, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among the people of unclean lips. What's the deal with the lips? Lips are an expression of the will and the heart. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you want to know what's going on in your heart? You want to know the condition of your heart? How do you speak to people? What are the words that you say? How do you say those words? That's a reflection of your heart. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Now one of the fiery ones takes flight and he takes something from the fire. He takes a glowing coal from the fire, but specifically where in the fire? From the altar. What was the altar in the temple? The altar was the place of atonement. It was the place of, of sacrifice. And, and what does he do with the, with the coal? He takes it from the altar with tongs, and then he does what? He flies over and he, he puts it on Isaiah's lips. The most sensitive part of the human body. Think about a glowing coal touching your lips like the very thought, you know, just makes us recoil. But it doesn't hurt Isaiah. Instead, it heals Isaiah. Because you see, God knew that his son was going to go to the ultimate place of hurt so that we could be healed. That's where this book is headed. In Isaiah 53, he says that by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is going to go to the place of sacrifice and be 
ultimately hurt and wounded on our behalf so that we can be healed. Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. The term atoned for means the covering of a debt. In other words, Isaiah's sin debt is, is being covered. But how does that really happen? It happens because of the work that Jesus was going to do on the cross. What does Jesus cry out when he's on the cross? What? Paid in full. This is the encounter. And from that encounter comes the mission. The mission. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. You see, there's a mission that has to be carried out. We've seen it in these first five chapters, right? The people are headed toward judgment. Who's going to go and warn them? Who's going to call them to turn back to God? And Isaiah says here, what I do? Again, Old Testament scholar John Oswald says, having believed with certainty that he was about to be crushed into non-existence by the very holiness of God and having received an unsought for and unmerited complete cleansing, what else would he rather do than hurl himself into God's service? You know, we, we sometimes wonder why, you know, Christians aren't more willing to serve God. Why aren't we more willing to, you know, to, to serve and to give and to go where he wants us to go? Why aren't we more willing to share the good news of the gospel with our, with our lost friends and family members? You know, why? Maybe it's because we haven't been blown away by the depth of our own sinfulness and by the depth of God's amazing grace. You see, the encounter's got to come before the mission. Before we'll go out on the mission, we, we've got to encounter the holy God, and we've got to see how deep our own sinfulness is and how beautiful God's amazing grace is to forgive that. When we get blown away by the good news of the gospel, then serving and giving and going and speaking of Jesus is, is, is the natural overflow of our lives. Now, a lot of times we stop at verse 8. <laughs> because it seems like it's a natural ending point, right? Here am I, send me. And we finish there. The problem with that is that verses 9 and 10 are so important. In fact, verses 9 and 10 are quoted five times in the New Testament. When Jesus is asked, why do you teach in parables? You know, what, you know how he answers? He answers by quoting Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. What, is it, what does it say here? And he replied, go, say to these people, 
Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. Think about it. Every time that you hear God's truth, one of two things is going to happen. Every time you hear God's truth, you are either going to be receptive and you're going to be drawn closer to God, or you're going to reject what you hear and the hard callus around your heart is going to get a little bit harder. Unfortunately for Israel, it was going to be the latter. Because Isaiah is going to go and he's going to preach. But they're not going to be receptive. They are going to persist in unbelief. And they are going to experience judgment. And that judgment is going to come in the form of invasion and exile. Listen, without Christ, all of us are in exile and headed to nothing but judgment. The glorious good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and took judgment in our place so that we could be brought from exile back home to God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for anyone within my hearing in this room or maybe watching this video who is in exile, who needs to know you as their Savior and King. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts right now, that they would see your great love for them that is displayed in Jesus. We thank you for a Savior who died for sinners like us, who rose from the dead and who one day is returning to make all things new. And Father, we, just, we pray for anyone who doesn't know, know him as their Savior and King to turn to him right now and receive him as Savior and Lord and King. Father, we pray that as your people that you would make us so aware of our own sinfulness and of the amazing grace that we have received. And that because we have been so loved by you, that the response of our hearts would be that we would, we would love you, that we would love because we've been loved, and that, that it would overflow from our lives, Lord, that we would say, here, here am I, send me, that we would be willing to do what you want us to do and go where you want us to go, and, 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 and serve and give and speak of Jesus and that the one short life that we've been given would be, would be maxed out for your glory. Lord, give us that willing spirit because we have been so loved. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.